Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You are listening to episode 31. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with my co-hosts, Lamro Sirmos and Ari Bulubasis, as well as our special guest for today, Konstantinos Dianos. Kostas, it's great to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you for the uh, invite, uh, Peter. Labro, Ari, great to meet you. I've been uh, following your podcast. I loved the Stelios Yanakopoulos interview. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, thanks. I'm doing really well. Thank you for the invite. Great, great. Yeah, we're really excited to get into some Olympiakos-focused content. For those who aren't aware, Kostas is a writer for The Sun. He covers all sorts of football as well as wrestling and some other stuff. And he's also worked for, I believe, the Daily Express as well as a couple other venues in the UK. So a very interesting interview is coming up here. Before we get into that, I do want to just make a couple quick announcements for the podcast. We do have a couple more special guests to announce on the episode that drops Monday, December 7th. We will be joined by Luis Silva, who is a correspondent for B24 in Portugal. We will be discussing the pre-match for Porto with him as he is an expert on the team. He joined Adi and Muhammad Ali on David Mooney's Blue Moon podcast, a few former special guests of ours, and discussed Porto players who played for Manchester City in the past. So give that a listen if you haven't already. Additionally, on Monday, December 21st, following Olympiakos versus Larissa, we will be joined by our favorite Larissa fan, Michael Vicini. Michael and Lambro will be making their first appearance on the podcast together. So we are very excited for Rant Day. We may be looking at some high-energy EDM. You folks voted on Twitter, and that was the result that ended up winning. So we'll have to get ready for some workout-style playlists, maybe some remixes of Barbie Girl, Gummy Bear, I'm Too Sexy, and many more wonderful songs will be locked and loaded for that one. All right, so I know you picked those songs. That is terrible. What? No one wants to hear that. What? Oh, I definitely picked those. Oh God, hundred percent. Yeah, and that's what's being, that's what's playing. I am uh, get ready, Lambro. MC for this. I uh, self-appointed MC. I'm putting <laughs> all the music God. goes through me. Please send your best, uh, or actually send your worst, and it'll be <laughs> locked and loaded for for rant day. I can't wait. Yeah, if you're not familiar, folks, Michael Vicini and Lambro are potentially the two most ranty commentators in the Greek football community, or at least in the English Greek football community. So having them on the mics together in the same space is going to be absolutely legendary. We are very, very excited. Please send us any other EDM song suggestions on Twitter, Facebook, or even email or Instagram or anything like that, by the way, because it's going to be a long one. We're going to need a lot of great suggestions. Follow us on all of those socials at gate7intl. We'll be looking out for your responses. Additionally, I would like to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com, spelled like the port in Greece, and give them a call at 410-675-4696. Some quick news to add before we get into the interview. Olympiakos are set to renew contracts for 
the BFFs of our squad, the African BFFs Mari Kamara, Ushenu Ba, and Pape Abusi Say. No release clauses on these contracts, so hopefully we'll see them in the red and white for a long time, or at least if they leave, we'll be getting a very nice sum for them when the time comes. We also do have some match-fixing claims, folks. What is Greek football without match-fixing claims, it seems, coming from Thessaloniki, from the fans of a specific black and white club. They're claiming that the match yesterday between Olympiakos and Aris, which finished in a 2-1 victory for Olympiakos, was fixed. They're claiming that Champanis, the goalkeeper for Aris, threw the game because he once played for Olympiakos as an academy player. They are very upset. Pauk, of course, would never do something like this. They would never cheat or fix matches or own other teams. I mean, clearly their, their criticisms are very well-founded here. All I have to say is, listen, guys, if you want to bring UEFA into this and have them investigate, please. And then while they're at it, maybe they can investigate that dual ownership of Xanthi, you know, with Savidis owning the hotel and also having his man from his business running things at the front office for Xanthi and then having the Greek government overturn actual rules for the Greek Super League that would have seen both Xanthi and Balk relegated. Maybe while we're at it, they can look into that too. I mean, if if they if anybody wants to bring them in, please let's have them look at everything. Then, honestly, there's just no need to go over the the match fixing stuff. I don't know why there's this thing like Olympiakos and Aris are very close or something. I don't know where these rumors started. I don't know. Is it because we sold them some players and Sabanis too was a Pauk Youth Academy prospect, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of strange. He he last year came to Olympiacos, but then was sent on loan immediately to Nottingham Forest for the year. So it's kind of like confusing. What is his loyalty with Olympiacos, who cut him after a year with I, right? I don't know. It's it's, like, it's, yeah. it's a bit confusing with that one, and that's what social media is there for to create stupid controversies, right? So yeah. Well, we you know we gave them Fefatsidis, we gave them Manos, we gave them Champanis, right? So obviously, obviously, that's there are there are feeder club now. That's what oh, it yeah. comes out to. It I bet Marinakis them. is also owning Audis. I bet right. That's, that's <laughs> the next rumor that's going to come up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's not get too much into that. Gostas, we want to ask you a couple questions about your career personally before we get into Olympiakos games. So first of all, how did you get into journalism? Uh, more generally, just with sport. And we asked you this off camera already, but how did you get into wrestling? Because we think that's really unique, obviously. The combination of football and, and wrestling is certainly not a common occurrence in the journalism world. I decided to become a sports journalist when I was a young kid and I fell in love with football. But the thing is, I quickly realized I made Ali Dia look like Pele on the pitch. So I decided that the only way I can work in football is by becoming a sports journalist. <laughs> And so upon starting my uh, studies at Kingston University in 2010, I started doing a lot of internships. I quickly decided I wanted to be a sports journalist. That was where my calling was since I was uh, a kid. So I got into it pretty quickly. Uh, in 2015, I got uh, hired by the Daily Star and the Daily Express, uh, former Express newspapers now reach PLC, where I spent five years and. Uh, now, fast forward, I'm with the Sun. Uh, when it comes to WWE, I've been a fan ever since uh, I was 14 years old. Uh, as I told you guys, I came back home one night completely uh, tired, opened the TV, 
there was a mountain of a man called Brock Lesnar. And ever since, I was just hooked. And I've been watching wrestling ever since, every week, Raw and SmackDown. And when I got into the Daily Star, I get a message on Twitter, none other than WWE Hall of Famer, Diamond Dallas Page. He's telling me he's coming to uh, do a seminar of DDP yoga, and he was looking to see if I wanted to buy a ticket. And I said, hey, D, how about I just come on over and I, I do the seminar and I interview you? And Dallas is such a lovely person. He is one of the nicest people I've ever met, so inspiring. I am proud to call him my friend. And uh, we met up, we did the interview, we did some previews as well. And my editor realized that, hey, you know, those are doing pretty well. You know, we're, we're getting some uh, results here. And uh, they asked me to become a WWE correspondent. It was five amazing years. And uh, now we're doing football and WWE. That's a really unique story for sure. Um especially I, I think in Europe, obviously you said it was late at night when you were watching, I guess a lot of these are mostly American uh, products. So it's sometimes maybe difficult for European listeners to, to get on and get into that stuff. So that might be why your writing is so valuable in that case. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was wondering. Is wrestling that big in Greece or in the UK or is it growing? How, how would you describe the fandom in, in Europe more generally nowadays? Well, I mean, wrestling is huge in the UK, and that is why WWE created the NXT UK brand. And that is why they uh, crowned their first ever uh, British WWE champion recently, Drew McIntyre. Hmm. When it comes to Greece, it's yes and no, really. I mean, we had it in, in a TV channel called Sky, but if I'm not mistaken, it's not there anymore. But the, the audience was there to bring it in the first place. It was in, on, on Magic TV for so many years. So I guess it's a yes and no. Like, we don't really have an indie scene in Greece. But I think that something is brewing here. Something is brewing indeed. But the UK, when it comes to UK, it's huge. I have a very important question. When you were in that seminar with DDP, uh, was the diamond cutter one of the moves that he was teaching people? <laughs> Well, the Diamond Cutter is one of the greatest finishers of all time. It was the uh, the birth of the RKO, which might be the best finisher of all time. No, we didn't have any Diamond Cutters, but we had the signal a lot. We had the Diamond Signal, Diamond Cutter <laughs> Signal at all, all at all times. It's part of the routine. And I think that's one of the many reasons why it's so special. It helps people and it makes you feel like DDP. That's so cool. Very, very <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> but... Let's let's talk. Let's go back to football for a little bit. I feel like uh, we could talk about wrestling for a while, but of course, we have promised people Olympiakos content for today. Uh, big game this weekend in the Greek Super League, a game where the winner would see themselves at top of the league, and the winner yesterday was Olympiakos, a two-one win against Aris. Goals from none other than Andreas Buchalakis. What an unexpected goal scorer to happen twice. It is exciting to see him get on the score sheet, obviously, but definitely not the most beautiful game. We started out really rough. I think in the last podcast, we spoke about how we might have expected to see a little bit more of the ball than we did. They did get involved a decent bit. They obviously scored the goal. I think it was uh, Christian Lopez who came on as a sub and scored. It was ugly, but you know we win the game. Hopefully it gives us some momentum going into Marseille in the midweek, but definitely not super happy. I'm a bit concerned. What do you think, Lamro? So I actually wanted to bring out a quote. I don't know if you guys read this. Uh, Andres Buarlakis came on to Nova Sports after the game, 
And he said, uh, again, I always have the quotes and I try to translate them in my head. He said something along the lines in Greek that he, when he came back from Nottingham Forest, he promised himself he wouldn't listen to the news or watch the critics because a reporter asked him, like, how do you feel when you see all this criticism? Because we've alluded to it. Andreas Buhalakis gets a lot of media stick, a fan stick. And he was like, I don't listen to any of it. I just keep playing and working hard just good for him. He seems like a really nice guy. Another hard guy to hate like Hassan, even though he messes up so many easy goals. And I was wondering what you guys thought of Buhalakis yesterday and overall that mentality. Buhalakis, look, even if you take the two goals away, he did his job. Now, in terms of a top-down look at what the team kind of set up as and how we approached it tactically, we ran a 4-2-3-1 I know we were expecting a 4-3-3. Functionally, I think it was supposed to be a 4-3-3, but it ended up being a 4-2-3-1 or kind of that Christmas tree where uh, our wingers are actually both kind of attacking mids. Now, the really ugly part in the first 17 minutes is when Fortunis was playing on the right and Madi was really playing box-to-box and or pushed further up more as like that makeshift 10. Things got much better once we pushed Fortunis back into the middle, but then Madik went to the right. He was pushed a lot more to the right side, but then the problem became, of course, as midfielders tend to do when they're pushed out to the wing, they drift central. We posted on Twitter a, a heat map, a possession map, for everybody to see uh, that really indicated this, and that map... Uh, using an algorithm kind of dictates approximate position based on where most of the possession was occurring, the link up, and it gives like an average position of where the person was. So you can see how things were lined up. And you saw Madi, Fortunis, and El Arabi all right on top of each other. And this was part of the problem, was that we didn't have any width out on the right side. Now, Costa, this is something, you know, we told everybody we were going to discuss. And... This is the first part, really, in terms of tactics that we wanted to discuss with you was the lack of space. The, you know, we didn't play with a real winger on the right. We played with Fortunis, who we all know drifts inward. He does it for the national team. He does it for us. Then we put Madi out there. And Madi, to his credit, did stretch the field a couple of times, but he did the same thing, drifted inwards, went inwards. And then we didn't have any of that space on the right side. Should we have started with a natural winger on the right? and left Fortunis in the 10, maybe started with a, a, a different double pivot. I mean, what do you make of this? Well, I mean, Olympiacos didn't really have many options for the wing, considering Lazar Adzelovic has tested positive for coronavirus. Bruma is injured. Uh, there, there weren't really a lot of options. And uh, Martins wanted the 4-3-3, and he needed Fortunis in there because he's the most creative player we got. He's the top assist provider in the entire team, and he wanted that 4-3-3, and Fortunis can play that role, so that's why he had him in there. But in general, like, I mean, uh, this season is quite historic because we have never seen so many fixtures congested like that in such a small amount of time. I'd say since World War II, like, we're going through a crisis right now, so the schedule is all over the place. And because of that, Olympiacos is, is a part of many, many teams that didn't get to do any preseason at all. There was no preseason for Olympiacos. And unlike many other teams who are top clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, the list goes on, Olympiacos are not the kind of team that can wing it and do it on the fly like those great clubs do because there's so much depth in there, especially in the academies. 
So Olympiacos are still finding their footing. They're still trying to play the same impressive, in my opinion, game style they had last season of possession, accurate passing, nice little tiki-taka, close space together. And you got so many signings that never really got to get adjusted to the game. You got Pepe, Thiago Silva, Bruma, Vinagre. They're not ready yet. They're not, they haven't adjusted yet because there was a lack of preseason. So what we saw from, uh, what we've been seeing from Olympiacos, I think it's quite reasonable. And I'm going to dare say something that I don't think a lot of Olympiacos fans are going to like, but there's a reason why uh, Man City conceded five from Leicester, why Man United conceded six, why Liverpool conceded seven, because they're not ready. They're all tired. And that's why I would say, like, if Olympiacos end up in the near future conceding, like, three goals from Volos at Karaiskakis, that wouldn't be a shock. That wouldn't be a surprise. They are tired. They're not ready yet. And they're still finding their footing. One thing as well, uh, Costas, that you briefly touched on is that we're trying to play the same way that we did last year. And obviously the team last year, you know, you're right that the new signings could potentially make us a very good team, but they might not be worked in yet. But if you look at the team last year, the two biggest differences are the fullbacks. You know, Costas mm -hmm. Jimikas, arguably our best player last year, super bright, young, promising talent, goes off to Liverpool. Omar El Abdelawi, our captain, who had been on the team for a very long time, pretty much in every game at right back off to Galatasaray in Turkey. Now we have Jose Jolebas, who is, you know, geriatric, nearly 36 years old, was not meant <laughs> to be the starter. Um, we have Ruben Vinagre, who you might be familiar with as covering the Prem. He's a Wolves player on loan for us, and he hasn't really had the chance to get settled in. He's barely seen the pitch. We've got Rafinha, another player that many European football fans are familiar with from his time in Germany, but he's also very old and he can't play every game. And then Mohamed Drager, who's been really a mixed bag and also is a new signing that's still sort of getting his feet in at the club. Kostas, do you think that the fullbacks might be the most pressing issue with this team in terms of uh, why they're trying to play the same way and not having the same success as last year? I think there's a lot of pressure going on there. And uh, when it comes to Vinagre, he was always uh, the anti-Tsimikas, well, the Tsimikas replacement. That's the right way of explaining this. Uh, Jolebas came in to, um, to offer solutions from the bench. The arrival of Vinagre took a very long time. And, you know, because of the whole situation, because of the coronavirus, the lack of preseason, he never really got to, uh, to adjust to life in Perez just yet. But he's a very uh, talented young man, very talented player. That is why Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santo only gave him out on loan. He ref I don't think he would ever uh, agree to uh, selling him at Olympiacos, even if he turns out to be a success, because he has great hopes for him, very high hopes for him. He sees him as the future of Wolves. Uh, and I believe Vinagre has all the tools to play well at Olympiacos and uh, deliver, especially in the Greek league. But as we said, uh, it's the situation right now. It's a very weird situation. All the fixtures are congested. Everybody's going to get an option because this season, rotation is not an option. It's a necessity this season. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I know you cover the Prem and they always have this crazy fixture list in the Christmas season. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but... In Greece and a lot of other leagues, the Italian league, I think the Spanish league, we get that kind of two to three week break for Christmas. Hopefully that can almost be like a second preseason. I know the players typically go back to Brazil, to Portugal, blah, blah, blah. It would be kind of a good idea to keep them around and train and just get the system going. 
And, you know, we, we highlight the fullbacks a lot, but I think also the wingers is lacking. The wing play is lacking a bit as well. And I, I was really happy to see Marios Fursai get a run out. I know a lot of people were telling me, oh, wow, you weren't on the podcast to talk about Fursai against Man City. Yes, I saw everyone. I saw the messages. Super excited to see Marios Fursai back. He's much better than Lazar Angelovic for me. And I hope actually he starts against Marseille. That may be something we'll talk about a little later for starting 11s, but exciting to see him and just see what he's got. Like, hopefully he can get 90 minutes soon. Gosta, you mentioned as well how rotation is not just an option, it's a necessity, the way that things are. And I think for one, it should be noted that, you know, Greece has three teams playing in Europe, at least one or two of them. It looks like they might not be in there for much longer. I mean, even Olympiacos could duck out, but... Olympiacos, as of now, are, you know, they're more congested than most of the teams they're playing. I mean, they haven't even played Palk and Ike yet. So that's another issue. And we always complain here on the Gate 7 International podcast about how Pedro Martins doesn't rotate enough. We even said it last season when rotation wasn't as much of a necessity. But still, you know, you've got a Tromitos and it's like, okay, maybe we won't win if we play Ruben Vinagre instead of Jodebas. But like, it's not a disaster if we don't win every game in Greece. Do you think that we still need to rotate more, especially in these Super League games, to make sure that we're prepared and have the best team for Europe? Well, I mean, it really depends what kind of team you got, uh, where you're at at the table, what kind of team you're facing in uh, Europe. Is it an important game? Because, I mean, if Porto get a result from Man City, who are going to be quite disinterested in this game. I mean, they rested Kevin De Bruyne and Kyle Walker against Olympiacos you know, in a game where that they needed to win to seal qualification. So if they rest their best player in that kind of game, can you imagine how many players they could rest against Porto? If Porto get a result, that's it for Olympiacos. They're out of the, of the Champions League. It's only Europa League left for them. So it depends what kind of necessity your faith, uh, there is, what kind of urgency there is in the, cha- in the Champions League and in, uh, in the Greek League as well. I mean, I like what I'm seeing from Pauk uh, lately. I don't know if they're gonna, how consistent they're going to stay, they're going to remain. I don't know if, if Ike can um, produce anything as well. But when it comes to rotating, obviously Olympiacos, not Barcelona or Real or Manchester City, they don't have that much depth, but they do have players for every single position. And I dare say capable players, once they find the pace, some pace, some rhythm into their game, once they adjust, I think Pedro Martin's going to have some uh, good options at his uh, disposal. One thing that kind of concerned me with the, the game against Adis, and it's kind of concerned me as well with more specifically the Super League games, in addition to Champions League as well, but it's the movement in the midfield. And more specifically, I'm going to speak to Jan Vila. Jan Mvila is a very talented player, and especially in Europe, he is so smooth with the ball, brilliant in one touch, helps us keep possession of the ball. Now, I have been a critic in terms of his play for Greece and whether or not he should be played in Greece. I don't really like how defensive he is in Greece, and we saw it again when we, he played against Adis in the positional pass mapping. He basically was a third center back. He sat so deep. And this annoys me for a couple of reasons. One, in Greece, we're always going to be the team that controls the game. We're always going to be the team that dominates in terms of possession. 
So I understand having at least one of your defensive mids covering to ensure against the counter. But when you have the ball and you're going forward, there is no reason any of your midfielders should be in the defensive line. And when I see some of our fullbacks on the on the ends or even our midfielders coming out wide or a winger with the ball and they're getting pressed, they're getting pressed or they're getting collapsed on by midfielders and defenders at the touch lines. And there's nobody in the midfield running to them to create an, an outlet to pass the ball. It annoys me. Now, there were multiple times when Semedo, Cisse, Rafinha, or Holebas had the ball in maybe the midfield third of the field, last person with the ball. And Jan and Vila, instead of taking space or, or creating a passing lane somewhere in the middle for them to get the ball forward through the person coming to them. He sat lateral to them and just created an outlet pass to the left, which is okay in, in some circumstances. But when the striker just takes that step to you, or you're only five meters away, five or 10 meters away from the defender with the ball, you're not creating a passing option for him. All it takes is that striker to step in between you. Now you're forcing Semedo to look to the right. And then if he has nobody to pass to there because the press is high, he's just going to boot the ball up. It doesn't give us any options forward. And this irritated the ever-living crap out of me yesterday. We posted about it on Twitter, and there were individuals that agreed with us, uh, some that were joking about the Jan Mvila masterclass. And I'm not saying that Mvila had a bad game. When we go into the player analysis later, you'll see that. He didn't have a poor game. But when it comes to helping us get forward, and we see that in the last few games, our positional attacks have not been good. We've been pretty toothless in the opposing third, breaking defenses down, getting the ball in. This is one of the reasons. And it makes me begin to miss Guillerme again because Guillerme was the one making a lot of those runs in the midfield. Bukalakis was the one sitting back. He was the one staying in front of the defensive line. Guillerme was making moves around, and so was Mari Camara. But in this game, you had Mari kind of staying further up Dropping back sometimes, but especially when he was out on the right, he wasn't making those runs in the midfield. Buhalakis was pushed further up, but he's not really known for his pace sideline to sideline. And then Fortunis sometimes would drop in, but not super deep. He was staying further up as well. What options were there for people to pass to in the midfield? Not many. And this is why especially the first 17 minutes were so ugly. So I wanted your thoughts about what was going on with Mvila you know, him dropping in almost as a, a third center back. He's done it multiple times. Is this something you see that's coach's instructions or is this the type of player Jan Mvila is? Well, I mean, when it comes to Jan Mvila, I think he's um, among the most talented players Olympiacos can have. I wish like, we could see more of his long balls that we've seen in the Premier League and in France. I think they're marvelous and uh, I think they could offer some options. But the thing is, if you want to keep your line so close, you can't just have your midfielder thrown crosses um, to the wingers left and right. Uh, I don't think anyone's performance against Adis was marvelous. And I think it's very reasonable because they had Panathinaikos last week. Then they had Man City. And the Man City game was insanely tough. Olympiacos were depleted because of coronavirus and injury. And they still, well, they lost, obviously. I mean, you're playing against Man City who needed a win. Uh, but they conceded the least amount of goals out of anyone else in the group in that game. And they were depleted. They were missing half the team. So that was a very difficult game. They were all tired. So it kind of made sense that none of them produced anything spectacular. And as I said, like, I mean, Mvila is one of those signings who's still finding his way. Uh, and, and, and the last two games in Greece actually prove how, 
how much more work Olympiacos have to do. Last week against Panathinaikos, Olympiacos scored their scored in the first half for the first time this season in an official game. First first half goal of the season in an official game against Aris. They scored in each half for the first time this season, which shows how Olympiacos now are are still finding their footing, are still coming together as a team. And as I said, they don't have the uh, the luxury and the quality of those uh, of Man City, Barcelona, Real to help them find other ways around. Uh, I guess Bukalakis uh, was going to remember this game for his performance. Scored a brace for the first time since 2017 when he was playing at Fort Nottingham Forest against Brentford, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'm, we're gonna I'm gonna have another look and uh, I'm gonna put it on the comment section if it's wrong. <laughs> no problem. But I I wanted to ask you guys. Where where do you guys think Tiago Silva is the the player from from again Nottingham Forest? Um, we heard that he was more of a ten or an eight. Adi, correct me if I'm wrong because you yeah. did the deep dive. Like I feel like he could be quite a useful player for the team, especially he he's not in the European list. I don't think so. He can't play in Europe. So I don't know when we're gonna see him. Is he already one for history or is he gonna play? I don't, I don't know. Would he be helpful? You think? I was expecting to see him at least as a substitute. We know Martins is not going to throw people out there that haven't been bloodied. He's too risk averse for that. You know, look at look at Vrusai. Ten minutes here, fifteen minutes here. I think Vrusai was is earning more of that playing time as he continues to play well. I don't think we'll see a Vrusai start in the next week or two, but maybe more like earlier substitutions as Pedro Martins starts to trust him. Tiago Silva, I thought maybe would have been an option to bring off the bench just to rest the midfield because there was no reason to leave those guys out there for so long. When we were up to nothing and in the 65th minute, especially when Yanam Vila is permanently in that center back position, save for the one counter that we had, and he's just sitting back there. To me, that's when, listen, bring him off. He's, he's either tired from the other games or he's tired in this game. Bring him off. Bring somebody else on that's going to help maintain possession because one of the ways that we are so dominant in Greece is not just because we have a great defense, which we do. We have a fantastic defense and our holding mids do a very good job dispelling the counter. But part of the reason that we don't get a lot of opportunities against is that we possess the ball so much. When you're on the ball, they're not on the ball. It's as simple as that. And if if you want to maintain that, you need people that are going to move into spaces and help create width, help create passing outlets for your other players. So that one kind of confuses me as to why we weren't removing midfield, at least one midfielder and bringing on a fresh set of legs in the midfield when we desperately needed it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very, uh, that's, a, that's an excellent observation. I guess uh, the easier way to explain this is that Martins also wanted to rest a lot of players for the uh, upcoming final, as we call it in Greece, against Marseille, which is mm -hmm. extremely important. Uh, Olympiakos cannot draw points in there and, and especially uh, especially lose. And especially when you still don't know what's going on with Radzelovic, with Kassan, with Bruma, with Vinagre. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Martins was looking ahead and was only, well, I mean... I shouldn't be saying it like that, but like Aris is not exact, is not a, an Ike, is not Pauk, right. is not even Panathinaikos. When it comes to Panathinaikos, depleted or not, Olympiakos has to beat them. That is, mm -hmm. that is the rule right now. You play them, you beat them. Like when Celtic were playing Rangers when they were in third division, they still had to beat them. It didn't matter if they were depleted or not. So Martins was looking ahead to a Marseille, and as we said, you know, you know. There's no preseason. Players are still finding their way. Didn't want to risk any more injuries. That's one thing he couldn't risk ahead of Marseille. Marseille are only missing two players 
in the upcoming match. Uh, uh, that's Nemanja Radonic through a muscle injury and Leonardo Balerdi through suspension. And Valbuena is not playing for Olympiacos and he was right. probably the MVP of the first match for Olympiacos. So Martins had to look ahead. Uh, and now he's got two finals against uh, ahead of him in the Champions League against uh, Marseille and Porto. I think Matthew Valbuena would love so much to have gone back to a full stadium in Marseille to stick the dagger one last time in his career into the hearts of their fans. You know, he would have loved to see that stadium full singing and whistling him him off the pitch. But unfortunate for him, he can't go back to Marseille. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I don't know if we want to move on so fast. With this Christmas tree formation, and I'm going to bring back a bad reference. Peter, close your ears. You hate the references. It reminded me of Hopwell Beersheba under Victor Sanchez, where oh, we God. lost 1-0. And Buhalakis was in the part of the Chris. I don't Oh, my God. It was so ugly. Anyway, just oh. everyone forget you heard that. Well, I, I well, Adi, what did the Y-Scout formation mapping show us in terms of what did they say we lined up as? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, it was a 4-2-3-1, effectively a 4-2-3-1. Um, I know that it looked the according to the the official lineup, it was a four three three. It was a makeshift four three three because, of course, we were playing with three midfielders, defensive midfielders, recall them. Even though we know Madi is more of an eight, um, but Madi did stay up. He does he can play box to box, and he did drop back on occasion, but he was functionally playing as a ten in the beginning. Then he and Fortuny switched, which is why we saw Madi spreading the width of the field. And going out wide, he was playing as a winger until around the 64th minute when we made our first sub. Then we made some adjustments again. So that's really what it looked like. And that could be a reason why some of the possession in the final third was really horrific. But that's what it was functionally. One thing that using this formation really does to us, uh, and we haven't mentioned him yet, but the other sort of AM in the Christmas tree was Maxi Lovera, who... I mean, did absolutely nothing. He only passed the ball 20 times, and I think his completion rate wasn't really too great on them either. What is it, 12 for 20, Adi? Um, yeah. 16 for 20, sorry. Give him a little credit. But um, very poor game from him. Wasn't on the ball much at all, and when he was, one for 10 offensive duels. So he tried to go at defenders 10 times and only succeeded once. Um, not great from him. Basically, what we see from the lack of wingers in general is – our crossing numbers are way down. If you look at our last few games uh, between all these injuries and whatnot, if you look at this game, Panathinaikos and Manchester City, we're looking at, what, six, seven crosses per game, which if you compare that to our season average of 18, you know, that's a huge drop-off. Only seven crosses in an entire game. Uh, I watched Chelsea this morning. I think Reese James did that by himself. So that is a big problem. Usually, we can maybe rely on the fullbacks to do that a little more. Rafinha is among our leaders in crossing this year, but we really need more width. And when we have wingers who are sort of drifting in, we don't really have a true winger out there. They're sort of swapping back and forth. To me, that seems like a big problem and something that we might need to fix coming up. No, of course. I mean, Olympiacos obviously weren't, Olympiacos weren't depressive against Aris. But if you look at the stats, they beat Aris in many ways, passing accuracy and uh, possession and uh, shots. Uh, 
but then again, you know, it depends on the opposition. Still, I mean, when you could, when you got Aris in front uh, in front of you or Marseille in front of you, obviously the numbers go up and the sense of urgency uh, increases. And uh, obviously, Olympiacos have a lot to fix. Still, no preseason, as we said. Uh, but then again, last season, you know, Olympiacos didn't want to depend uh, much on crosses. They got a lot from El Abdelawi and Simikas, but they didn't really want to depend a lot on crosses. They wanted to keep the ball down. The concern for me comes with, well, you know, when obviously when you're not crossing, you're not usually spreading as much width. And crossing in and of itself, we never care about crossing accuracy. And we always make this clear to the listeners. We care about volume. Pedro Martins has always cared about volume. When you get crossing volume and you spread the width of the field, it draws the fullbacks out. When you draw the fullbacks out, it can open up runs for people to come in, which is then how we begin to break the defense down. The concern for me is that when we don't include a lot of crossing in the game, we limit the width of the field. Then we see what we saw here. Olympiacos had 21 positional attacks against Adis. Only two resulted in, in shots. That is one of the worst games we've had all season in, in terms of positional attacks. This game, the most recent game against Manchester City and Panathinaikos. The last three games, we have been horrible. Now, obviously, there's injuries that come in play in this and then COVID, people missing with COVID. So there is context to that. But six attacks from the right side, zero expected goal differential. Ten attacks from the center, zero expected goal differential. Five attacks from the left, which was the weaker side, and that resulted in a .05 expected goal differential, thanks to Vrusai. Uh, nothing while uh, Maxi Lovera was there. So Adis technically generated more threat from their positional attacks than we did. And uh, that was mainly because of the goal that they had. It, it generated a .36 uh, expected goal differential. So the positional attacks are just... They're, they're not good. And part of this is, is it's cause and effect, right? Because we're ineffective and we're not creating width, it's making it very difficult for us to create scoring opportunities. It's an effect also because obviously when you're not crossing, when you don't have as many crosses, you don't have any, as many opportunities. And then, then it has effects on other things. There's a butterfly effect. One metric that we use to really kind of see if we're breaking through defenses and making attempts to, to cut the ball through defensive lines is smart passes. We have a third game in a row where Olympiacos has not completed a single smart pass. This is troubling. Last season, we only had four games the entire season where we didn't complete a smart pass. This season, we're already on five games and three in a row now where we haven't had a pass that's cut through the defensive lines and really created a dangerous opportunity. Maxi Lavera had an attempted pass, Mvila and Fortunis, all with attempted smart passes, but nothing successful. We didn't have one ball, one through ball, one dangerous ball that really cut the defensive line and created a dangerous scoring opportunity. And this is something that concerns me very heavily going into the Marseille game. So that that didn't that data point get called out by... Costa Levoyanis on Olympiacos EU about the Envia long ball, just throwing it out there. You mean against uh, uh, Uh Well, the reason that wasn't a smart pass is because that was a long ball that went to the, the guy that crossed the ball in. Okay, so it, wasn't didn't, a, it didn't create a clear goal scoring opportunity, which is why it wasn't a smart pass. But it was a great long ball. It was a lovely lob over there. Yeah. But that doesn't classify as a smart pass. 
Okay, I was just going to bat for the people who hate the data. You know, we always have <laughs> those people who get upset with the data. But also, I, I kind of wanted to just go over to Aris. And of course, I don't know if you've done anything into Aris, but their team looks much stronger. It, it looks very strong. And I feel like Karisteas was on Twitter and he was like, Aris is having a great yes. season. I wonder Arguing who... with random people. I saw this. Yes, he was. Hadi Stehas was like getting in arguments with random people on Twitter about like who created this Aris team and why are they so good? And he was like taking credit for it on Twitter and then getting in fights with Aris fans who were like, no, you're not the one who created this team. But they have a good team. And even on the bench, they had this, I think it was a West Ham youth prospect, Zande Silva. And yep, he looked West decent. Ham. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. they have some decent quality on that team. I know we were saying, oh, it's no Panathinaikos, no, but definitely a, a better team, I guess, than in the past. I, I mean, uh, when, it com- when it comes to Aris, of course, they've had a, a good path so far. They were uh, top of the league until uh, very recently. I like the project that is being put together at Aris. Uh, I always like to see, you know, new up-and-comers, new teams c- coming in, new challengers in every league. doesn't matter if it's Greek league or not. I haven't seen the whole Haristeas incident, to be fair. I mean, obviously, Aris probably got a cold shower when they got eliminated by Kolos Kovalipka. Was that the name of the team? They had a cold shower from that. They uh, they got to work uh, under Manzios, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. who's, done a, who's done a pretty impressive job. I'm very interested to see how this is going to go. I mean, obviously, we're going to, I guess we're going to, if they keep it up, we're definitely going to see them at the playoffs. And it will be interesting to see how far this project goes. And one thing we talked about with Perry in our last episode is the nature of the Adis fans. They really believe that they can win the league. They believe they can win every game that they play in Greece. So, yeah, it should be interesting to see and keep track of how their team gets on for the rest of the season. They made a whole lot of signings and a lot of them seem to be doing well. I found that Javisteas tweet incident hilarious i wanted to bring it up on the last episode but we ran out of time he's literally just he's just arguing with random people so i mean folks if you want maybe if you want how do you to talk to you on social media you can you can go give him a mention or a reply and maybe he'll come back with something but yeah it was literally like some he was just saying like adis have done very well I'll also, I became the sporting director of adis recently or something like that and like some fans like it wasn't all you like there were so many players signed before you got here. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't say it was all me. I just said that I'm here now. <laughs> no, like, he literally said he, he literally said something like, I'm not saying names. He I, I think that's like literally <laughs> what he said. So it was just really funny. funny because he was like, Adis are so good this season. Like, let's not say any names who put together this team. And it was <laughs> but also just really I just funny. I just became oh geez. Um no, Kostas, I I also wanted to ask you about El Arabi, a player who had an amazing season last year and this year hasn't totally been up to par. He's had some goals, but in the big moments when we need him to score, hasn't always been there. Uh, We've talked in the past about how a lot of the reason El Arabi had such a great season last year is because of his service. You know, Matthew Valbuena is an amazing playmaker and creator, and that helped him out a lot in the 2019-20 season with getting all those goals. El Arabi is obviously not a young player. I think he's 32, 33 years old now. So some people are, of course, bringing into the question of whether he's just seen his better days. He's getting washed up. I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are. Do you think that he's having a worse year just because maybe he's getting older and he's getting worse or just because the service around him is worse? And with that, 
do you think that Olympiacos should go all in for a big striker in January? Uh, there were some links or some some murmurs of one Mario Mandzukic being linked with Olympiacos. Uh, obviously, this is the classic Greek press report that you know gets people all excited and then nothing ever comes of it. But could certainly see the club looking for a striker in, in the January window. What do you think, Kostas? I mean, uh Considering the this entire season and the fact that there was no rest, no preseason, I know I keep saying this, but it is, it is very crucial. No, it's though. true. I mean, it's this true. is a very, this is a very strange season that we're having right now. But I mean, my stats say that El Arabi, who is our, who is uh, Olympiacos' top scorer, six goals in twelve matches across all competitions. That's one goal in every two games. And if, if, if I don't know if you if you guys could um, could correct me if I'm wrong with this. If I'm not mistaken, Elana B has scored five goals in seven matches in the Greek League, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and three seven of those, I think, League. were a hat trick against... Was it was that the Atromitos game when it was... Uh, uh, that was correct. He had yes. uh, he had three goals against Atromitos, yeah. And the, they were against 10 men. Correct, yes. So, no, I mean, his, his goal-scoring record in Greece has been good at the beginning of the season, but he hasn't scored a goal since since October 17th. So it's been over a month since he he's he's scored a goal, despite really having a flurry of them. Even in if the like the more preseason games, the Champions League qualifiers, where he was scoring in each one, and even for his national team. But uh, yeah, since October seventeenth, he hasn't scored a goal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, until that goal with Omonia, there were a few murmurs then as well. Until he scored that incredible goal. Uh, that basically got Olympiacos through. Yep. And then he got himself into a bit of a role from that. So, I mean, it happens with center forwards. Sometimes, you know, they, uh, they, 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 they can't hit the target, then, but then there's just this one goal that gets them back in, uh, in a role. I guess it's going to be very interesting to see how he bounces back now that he came back from COVID and, you know, he spent yep. it far away from Greece. He spent it far away from his own country, but he was in Cameroon. Uh, he's still a very important player. I, uh, Hassan as well, I believe, could uh, offer solutions from the bench. Olympiacos have two uh, capable strikers. I want to see more from Broussai because uh, I liked him in Greece. Willem tend to be a really good uh, starter starter club for many players. Tsimikas got a lot of help from Willem. I'd like to see more from Broussai, not just basically for the Greek national team. Basically, I'd like to see where he can go. Uh, and when it comes to Larabi in general, he's the kind of player that won't take the ball and run to the uh, box to score. He needs good feeders. And obviously, with the lack of Tsimikas and El Abdelawi, he gets less uh, crosses. He gets less smart passes, as you said, uh, Ari. Uh, so, uh, but, I, but Olympiacos should definitely be patient with both El Arabi and uh, Ahmed Hassan. I haven't heard about Mandzukic, if I'm being honest. Uh, he hasn't played for a while himself. Uh, but... You know, El Arabi and Hassan deserve a lot of patience. Like, um, and and Martins and Pedro Martins definitely supports him, especially Hassan, whom he's been wanting to sign for two years, one year, I think. I'll say two. No, yeah. Ever since we had him for that first spell in the first season when Martins was here, uh, and we got him uh, right at the end, I think, of the first of the window, and then we had him for the rest of that year. Uh, but yeah, the one concerning thing for me with El Arabi is he is definitely a lot more selfish this season with the ball um, than he was last season. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes you want a striker to be more selfish. And again, we've seen it in games like with Amonia when he took that poor kid to school 
and scored that lovely goal after bringing the ball around and, and just whipping a wonderful shot. Sometimes you want your striker to be, to be a little bit more selfish and he has the skill set to do so. He might not be fast, but he definitely is pretty good with the ball at his feet. He's pretty good in link up usually as well. We've seen him help lay, lay passes off and be very instrumental when playing with Fortunis. The concern I have, and we kind of saw it in against Adis as well maybe being a little too selfish when he had a, a pass next to him, ripping a shot right into a defender when he had Fortunis to his left or he had a run coming in on his right. That's the thing that's kind of concerning me is that I'm seeing a lot more of that now than I did last year. And part of me wonders maybe some of that is he, you know, he did so well, it kind of got to his head. And now that he's getting frustrated, he's trying to, maybe he's trying too hard to do that. But um, I think I agree with you. I think we do need to have patience. I still think he's going to come good. I've always said form is temporary, class is permanent. I said it before El Arabi broke his dry streak against Omonia, and I'm going to say it now. Same thing. Form is temporary, class is permanent. El Arabi will find his feet, and he'll come good for us. Also, if we don't forget, how did El Arabi break that goal drought? Hassan getting a start, even though it made us so mad. Hassan, like typical <laughs> target man, just how do you stay at style? Just like ball bounces off his feet, goes flying to the goalie or just loses it with a terrible first touch. So maybe Hassan, I don't know, is he negative for coronavirus now? He can he can start against Marseille. We can all get so mad for like 60 minutes and then El Arabi comes on and scores two goals and there we go. The goal drought's over. I don't know. That may be the way to do it. I don't know. Yeah, I have faith in him. The Mario Mandzukic rumor, I, I, I sent that to you guys. It's definitely shady stuff. I'm going to be honest. That's why it was not included in the news section. Bam, airport. That's that's all I hear from that. <laughs> yeah, just just shady. If, if there's anyone coming in January, it's Mithroglu, but we're not going there. That rumor will start again. AKA, I will start tweeting that rumor and some <laughs> someone will pick it up. Another player that I do want to bring up that we've mentioned a few times is Mario Vrusai who Lambro, unfortunately, as we said, was unable to gloat after the Manchester City game he, when he came on and immediately dribbled past like five City players. Also, um, real quick, let me say, about Willem, let's send Andruzos, Lovera, Kuypers, <laughs> send I don't even get Rangelovic. Willem has a new team next season. That's a great <laughs> point. You know. goes B. <laughs> the next <laughs> season, two That's seasons new later. Academy. Liverpool, Arsenal, they're all coming with big money for every single player after that year in Villa. But no, yeah, keep going about Versailles too, though. Peter, you got it. Yeah, well, I do just want to say Versailles today, four for four on offensive duels, folks. Now we talk about how Ba is oftentimes close to 100% on defensive duels. That's a bit easier to do, I would say. I would say in general, you know, you're more successful on defensive duels and offensive duels. Versailles in his limited time, four for four. It's pretty darn good. He had that really nice sequence where he took it and dribbled past a couple of players. Very sexy move into the box before sort of playing that ball in the middle, and it wasn't met by anyone. Three dribbles. Obviously, the analytics are a bit harder to interpret when we only have 20 minutes of him, but he looked great. I know, Adi, I think you said he's probably not going to start. Martins might not trust him yet, but I really want to see it, and I'm just glad he's getting a little bit of time now. Oh, he's earned it 100%. He's definitely earned it. I mean, we saw when he came on against Manchester City, there was something there. He was lively. He created a little spark for us. And again, against Adis, I mean, he looked good. And the best part is you see when he has the ball at his feet, he's not 
trying to hold it too long. He was in a couple of one touch link ups. He, he kind of knows when to pass the, he dribbles when he feels he has space to dribble. And I, he has definitely, definitely earned more time. Yeah. I want to say for a kid who hasn't been in the system much, hasn't played for Olympiacos a lot. Obviously he got a good amount of senior football in the Netherlands, but he looks very natural as a decision maker. Like he knows when to make the pass. He, he makes, you know, sometimes the pass that you don't expect and it's a good pass. It gets completed. I mean, there's, you know, not an analytic that I'm looking at to say this, but you just see he knows when to dribble, he knows when to pass. And maybe I've just gotten used to Lazar Ranjeovic just trying to take everyone on, uh, Maxi Lovera just trying to take everyone on. And that's why I'm sort of so uh, surprised to see this. But I mean, we talk about how uh, Kostas, you're completely right. So many of these players, it is very difficult to work into an entirely new system, just like out of the blue. It's like, here, uh, welcome to Greece. Put on the shirt you're playing, like it's mad. Uh, and Vrusai, I mean, he's been with Olympiakos, he's Greek, but he's been on the bench, he's been not in the squad. So very impressive for me to see that. I think he, hopefully he only gets better. Well, while we're kind of on the player ratings, we've already kind of done Lovera, Vrusai, and uh, El Arabi. Obviously, a standout for me for this game was Kostas Fortunis. I mean, in a game where we still look kind of ugly, he was full of creativity, really creating our best opportunities. Actually, he did create our best opportunities, even by the expected goal metric. Um, he, you know, 51 of 60 passes completed, four of five long, switching the field downfield, doesn't matter. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he had that one attempted smart pass that was unsuccessful, of course, uh, but he did have four total shot assists, two of the assists that ended up as goals and two key passes. Those were, again, key passes are passes that lead directly to a goal-scoring opportunity, but they are missed. So two assists and then two passes that led directly to two more goal-scoring opportunities clearly our most effective and our most dangerous. He was nine of 13 offensive duels uh, with two for three dribbles. Effectively, he was 11 for 13. We're going to start using a new metric. It is a proprietary metric that we're using here at the Gate 7 International Podcast, uh, specifically with offensive and defensive duels. Uh, we're calling them effective because the offensive duel metric for Scout the algorithm considers an offensive duel successful only if the player gets out of the duel and makes progress towards the opposing goal. So if a player gets closed down on and dribbles out of it, but goes backwards, it's technically a failed offensive duel. So the new metric we will be using effective win rate will cover that as long as the offensive player gets, clo gets closed down, gets out. And even if he makes a pass backward, that to us is going to be an, a, a, an effective offensive dual win. That's why we're doing that. Um, it's something that has been DM to us. People have been kind of concerned. They don't think it's fair or correct that somebody loses an offensive duel just because they go backwards. Just like with defensive duels, if a defender forces a player to go backwards and ends in attack, many of us view that as a success. But obviously, the algorithm sees it as a loss because he didn't win the ball. So effectively, Fortunis was 11 for 13 because he only lost the ball when he got closed down twice. The other two times that it was said to have been lost, he just went backwards. He also had two progressive runs, one of which led to something. And then Fortunis tracked back this game as well. He tracked back very well. I'm sure Martins was happy with him. Three for four on his defensive duels, won both of his aerial duels. 
Uh, one for five loose balls. He's never been really a bulldog with that. One interception, six recoveries, one clearance. And uh, he did have four poor giveaways in possession, but all in the opposing third. I'm not going to begrudge him that because he was our clear producer in the final third and did have, for me, a man-of-the-match performance. I think Themis Kesaris from Sport24 put it perfectly. His headline was, The Return of the King of Creativity. I think sums it up perfectly. That's the Cosas Fortunis we know, and I think the return is is right. I think he, he he's back to that, that level he was pre-cruciate ligament injury. Costa, what do you think of Fortunis this game and overall his return? Well, I mean, last uh, last season it was uh, an absolute shame, not for just for Olympiacos, but for the for all of Greek football when Fortunis got injured and the way he got injured. But to be honest with you, if he hadn't been injured, I'm not too sure if he would have been at Olympiacos right now because West Ham were uh, targeting him in the summer. And just before they uh, they sealed Fornals, they were looking at Fortunis, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's how it happened. Fortunis gets injured and West Ham say, you know, they just signed Fornals. He's, uh, he's looking to make up for some lost time. He, uh, he's very passionate about this season. He wants to, uh, to break through. He was listening to Guardiola's, uh, to Pep Guardiola's uh, statement in the, at the Etihad when he said, I really wanted to see Fortunis. He knows who he is. Uh, he rates him highly. They spoke after the match. Uh, they, they were very good spirits. Uh, Guardiola also told him that uh, during that shot when Fortuny said, we didn't have a lot of shots. I think that was the only shot in the entire game against Man yep. City. Yeah. Uh, he thought it was going in. That's what Guardiola told Fortuny. He told him when you took that shot, I thought it was going in. I thought that was it. So Fortuny uh, is passionate this season. He is uh, motivated. I think more, more uh, I would dare say he's more motivated than ever right now because uh, he sees this as an opportunity to, uh, to, to go to the next level. I don't know if he wants to go abroad, but maybe, you know, that's what he's thinking right now. You know, if I do well this season, I'm at a good age, I'm playing well, managers are talking, uh, are singing my praises, maybe this is the time for me right now. I think we're going to see uh, more from Fortunis. It's very interesting to see what Pedro Martins thinks of him and how he sees him and whether or not he would be willing to build the team around a player like Fortunis. But uh, definitely, the most creative player uh, out of uh, all of the Olympiacos players. Five assists in 12 games across all competitions. It's still early days, but uh, I, I feel like uh, Olympiacos are going are gonna to take quite a few boxes this season. Of course. And the five assists in 12 games, I mean, for me, that's impressive as well, considering that Fortunas wasn't really played a lot in towards the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, if you look at the last month, he's getting a lot more playing time. But he wasn't getting as much playing time, not just for Greece, but for even for Libyakos. He was, you know, maybe Martins was still trying to work him back in, but we weren't seeing him get a lot of those minutes. So, all of those assists, those five assists in 12 games, if you consider the time he's been getting, we'll say meaningful playing time, he's got four assists in the last month, month and a half, sorry. I'm including the uh, Yanina game, which was technically the first week of October. So all of that has happened in the last almost month and a half. And let's not forget his two goals as well, the goal against Panathinaikos and then the goal that he had in our 3 nothing win against Asteras. So two goals and four assists in what would be probably seven, yeah, seven, seven matches. That's incredible to me. Yeah, also, we, we had so many people saying, 
oh, Fortunis doesn't look the same from the injury. He can no longer play 90 minutes. I remember reading that quite a bit on social media and things like that. Now, just in the past few weeks for Greece, he played 90 minutes, I think, two or three times. He was run thoroughly in the Slovenia game, running so many things. And now I think he, he played the 90 against City. He played the 90 against Panathinaikos. He played the... He wasn't subbed off, or he was subbed off for Rusai, maybe, I think. But yeah, he, he's been playing a lot. You know, those legs, if they're not 100%, they've got to be close. You know, he's been playing a lot of minutes. He's been... And, and it has to be said, too, he runs a lot as well. People don't see it as much because he's almost floats around but he does run quite a bit and so it's, it's good to see i just wanted to highlight one thing that i okay, saw was ahead. really surprising from the analytics just looking through them we've talked about cc's long balls how maybe he attempts too many of them now who knows if this is an indication for the future but eight of 11 today potentially maybe we see cc you know, not just blasting long balls right to the other team's goalkeeper or right back to the other team's defense. That would be really big for us. Obviously, he's not the one that we really assign that ball-playing ability to, but if he can start doing that more consistently, that's nice. They're pretty much all downfield. You know, he's not just, you know, passing it across the, the back line where it's very easy to complete a pass. He's playing these balls downfield. He's also two for two on offensive duels, which, you know, we did see a couple – midfielder Cissé, winger Cissé moments, which we always uh, we always have a good laugh at. He did have one shot uh, that I think was a header that went over the bar. Defensively, he wasn't excellent, but uh, that was probably the analytic that jumped out the most for me was his long balls. Well, the long balls are important for me too because we've talked about how Semedo, if we were to lose him, back when there were still the rumors about him going to Benfica, he's a quarterback back there. And Cissé and Ba as great as they are defensively, especially Ba, and who's, even though he's improving his footwork, don't have uh, Semedo's ability on the ball yep. yet. Semedo getting the ball, able to distribute it long, short, wherever it needs to go. In the last three games, we'll say even the last four games, Cissé uh, has been averaging about 13 long balls a game. Before the last four games, for his career, Cissé would only attempt maybe three or four a game. Wasn't something he did mainly as a clearance or if somebody was making a run, he was trying to just quickly dish a ball out. But he's doing it a lot more. He's more comfortable on the ball. And quite frankly, he's not horrible with it. Against Offie, he had a lot of long balls that got to feet or, or at least got to the bodies of the individuals. Against Panathinaikos, remember, 21. He attempted 21 long balls, 11 of which were successful. Even against Manchester City, uh, 5 of 11. You know, when it comes to long balls, having a, a completion rate, as long as it's above 50%, is pretty solid in that respect. But yeah, against Adis, 8 of 11. That's good for us to see because God forbid we do lose Semedo. We at least have somebody that seems to be able to, or it looks like he's attempting to try and fill that role. And Semedo, for folks who are curious, only attempted six long balls, completed four of them. But I mean, you're absolutely right, Adi. 50% completion on long balls, especially from the back line, not bad. Eight of 11, we're looking at 73%. So that's, that's you know, he's basically cutting out half of those missed long balls. He's replacing half of those misses with completed passes. Um, Semedo, obviously we know he is, I mean, he just oozes confidence when he has the ball at his feet, especially against these Greek teams. He did get involved in, you know, going at defenders more. He was three for four in his offensive duels. Although 
as we mentioned, when you look at effective offensive duels, he was four for four. There was one where he didn't actually go closer to the goal, but he did get out of trouble and then just, you know, dish the ball off to someone else. He did have one successful dribble, five interceptions and 15 recoveries for Semedo on defense also, which is pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, overall, the defense I thought did pretty well. Gustav, what was your opinion overall on the defense? We only allowed one shot all game, which was the goal. So I, I don't know how much more you can ask of your defense at that rate. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you say, as you said, Ruben Semedo has been uh, outstanding uh, for Olympiacos these last two seasons. He is the leader of the Olympiacos defense. Uh, it's very interesting to see that he gets uh, he gets on well with both Sisse uh, and Ba. Uh, personally, I think that um, it'd be very important. Uh, I mean, I don't know what um, Martins' future is at Olympiacos. Obviously, there there's no talk of getting rid of him, but. If he does well again this season, if he does well in Europe, it is very possible that we're going to see teams approaching Pedro Martins from other countries. I mean, Olympiacos does have a recent history of seeing its former managers uh, going to bigger and better things. Ernesto Valverde, Leonardo Jardim, Marco Silva. If Pedro Martins does well, he could be next. But if he is going to stay for a lot, for a while at Olympiacos, he needs to work Cisse and Ba, because I just can't see how Semedo is going to stay at Olympiacos for another season next season. If he does well and he keeps his act together, I don't see how he's not going to leave. I can see Benfica coming back. There were rumors of Liverpool keeping an eye on him. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they'll make a move in January because uh, they might need somebody to fill in for Van Dijk until he comes back. Although they are pat they have they are patching things up right now in defense. I just can't see Semedo staying at Olympiacos next season. I mean it was a miracle in my opinion that he stayed this season. And I was surprised that Camara stayed as well. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you. And <clears throat> I'm so glad that uh, Olympiacos tied him down with a contract extension because now there's the possibility that when the Liverpool rumors came in, you know, we were seeing numbers as high as 25 million euros. So We'll see if those things pop back up. Obviously, uh, Liverpool, I guess they can run with a back two, or not a back two, but a center-back pairing of uh, Fabinho and Joel Matip and while they're healthy. But uh, I think Semedo would be a good addition to their team, and it would be good for us in a financial sense. Moving over to the midfield, when you look at how we played, we talked about Jan and Vila dropping back into a center-back uh, how that was not very nice. But I do want to highlight Buhalakis, who obviously scored the two goals. Uh, look at what else he did with the, with the ball. He was 54 for 62 on his passes, which is a pretty decent rate. He was 2 of 4 on long balls. Uh, curiously, he only registered an ex expected goal rating of 0 0.75 despite scoring two goals. Uh, my guess would be probably the second goal, which was pretty marvelous if you ask me uh might not have registered a super high expected goal just from where he shot it and um whatnot you know the first one he was pretty much right in front of the goal that first goal it looked to me like Semedo might have gotten his head on it which I think explains why Chabanis was sort of covering for that um and maybe why Pauk fans were sort of calling for match fixing but I think that's perfectly fair goalkeeping and it's just a tough uh shot to defend but yeah, Buhalakis with the two goals. He also had six interceptions, five recoveries, and two clearances. Defensively, other than that, he wasn't stellar. One of two on defensive duels, one of two on aerial duels, one of three on loose ball duels. Obviously, uh, less is being asked of him in that department. He did have two progressive runs, two for two on his offensive duels. He also did have three giveaways in possession, which, you know, you look at some of the other players on the team, 
that was not the most of anyone on Olympiacos, but I'd say a solid game from him overall with the two goals. And not as many giveaways as he's had in a couple of games. So it's good to see that his confidence is starting to come back, especially after that Porto game. We were seeing games where his giveaways were almost double digits, and that was starting to get scary. So, you know, we're not going to begrudge him, uh, you know, a couple of lapses in judgment here and there. If on the whole he's doing his job and having a good game. His defensive metrics, I think, are affected, of course, because he's further up the pitch and he doesn't say as deep as he used to. But all in all, I mean, pretty good game. He scored a goal that uh, that second goal, which was kind of an interesting little lob or, well, I should say volley. Well-placed. <laughs> Well-placed, exactly. Yeah, that's not a goal that gets scored uh, very often. Again, for those that aren't um, familiar with the expected goal metric or haven't heard the episode where we've discussed it, this is uh, an, an algorithm. Uh, well, really, it's an exponentially weighted moving average that takes goals that have been scored from the same area in a similar position and it aggregates all of the goals that, or all the shots that have been like that in the last five years, and then determines um, based on, you know, with, uh, with this decimal, how many times out of 100 somebody scores that. So it takes the percentage of those shots, how many have become goals, and that's where you get your expected goal value. So not many goals are scored from there, and Bukhalaik has managed to pull one. So uh, good on him for doing so. Yeah, it's a goal of the season candidate for me, honestly. Uh, completely out of nowhere with a very nice finish. I think El Arabi's goal against Omonia probably still takes the cake. But yeah, I mean, great of Buhagakis to get a brace. The English announcers at the midweek in the Champions League did indeed mention as well that he scored a brace for Nottingham Forest. They are quite knowledgeable about the Prem and then less so about the rest of football. But let's get into some man of the match, though. Uh, and coaches grade Costas, we usually, you know, obviously award our man of the match and then give a letter grade to Pedro Martins on how he managed the game, you know, changes and tactics and stuff like that. I'll start and say my man of the match, although Pujalakis gets the two goals, I'm going to say it's Costas Fortunis with the two assists, you know, obviously one from a set piece, but another on a very nice ball that led to the, the wonder goal and very good as we discussed just throughout the game with two more key passes. Uh, so I think for me, he is the man of the match. He's showing that he can play a lot of games. He doesn't actually have weak legs. He actually can work. He can run, uh, despite what people said about him earlier in the season. You know, he's looking fit, as we've seen him since he got injured, uh, and that's great to see. For the coach's grade, I will say B, B+, plus, uh, just because I wish we would have deployed a lineup with more width. Um, you know, basically a lack of wingers for most of the game until Fursai got on and I think Masuras got on as well. Um, we obviously get the win. We defend well, uh, so I can't go too low. But I'll say a B plus there, and hope that you know we have a more traditional wide formation with with some wingers against Marseille and can get some more crosses in. Costas, what are your thoughts? No, I totally agree with you about Fortunis. He is the man of the match. Yeah, the Bukhalaki scored the scored a brace. I don't know if we were ever going to see that from Bukhalaikis, if I'm being honest. I'm going to be saying <laughs> not like that Maybe not another brace from Bukhalaikis. Maybe not with Olympiakos. I don't know. He's not that kind of player. He's not the kind of player we expect goals from. Uh, Kostas Fortunis is absolutely the soul of the team. Uh, absolutely creative. Was everywhere where, the, where he was needed. Uh, very, very solid match. When it comes to uh, Pedro Martins, obviously, you know, coming from Greece, I don't really understand the ABCD uh, <laughs> systems. But oh, I guess, fair enough. No, no, no. But I will get get into it. I mean, I'm, 
I've been explaining why I understand what's going on at Olympiacos, but I do feel like I should be firm and I'll give him a B minus because against Aris, of course, they're uh, they're improved, but you got to do better than that. You can't just beat them 2-1. I understand you got Marseille ahead of you, but excuses are coming to an end now. Like we got, uh, Olympiacos got two finals ahead of them in Champions League. That is if Porto lose to Man City, no more excuses. Like you want to be in the Champions League 16, you got to beat them both. Or at least, you know, you get, you have to beat Marseille and continue this uh, and continue your journey into the Champions League. I mean, Olympiacos need to uh, need to need to make it to the next level, and Greece needs this. You know, I hope we'll Pauk pull through. I was very sorry to see what happened with Ike Athens. I went out to BBC to talk about them before Leicester, and I was very gutted to see what happened with Zoria. And uh, I'm, I'm going to dare say I also hope we're going to see Panathinaikos in Europe uh, soon, and we're going to see the old Panathinaikos, the Anikos Greece. We need teams in Europe, and we need good teams in Europe. We need Europe to feel us. Yeah, I always say the same thing about Panathinaikos. They have that European DNA, you know. Like, when they go onto the pitch in a European game, it's more so than other teams who I won't mention in northern Greece. But, yeah, I'll, I'll say MVP, Marios Roussaid. No, I'm just uh, For Tunis, yes, I agree 100%. I'll keep mine short. I think Martins did everything he could. I was... Actually, a little disappointed that there wasn't a few subs made earlier, to be honest, like maybe Pepe on for fresher legs or Thiago Silva, but really, I can't say too much more. B, just average performance. Um, man of the match, it's not going to be any different. It's Fortunis. I don't think anybody could say different. Maybe run Rob Bukhalakis because he scored the two goals. But for me, I'm always going to value the guy that created them over the person that scores them. That's just how me, I was, I played as a 10 and an eight growing up. So I always have a soft spot for the midfielders. Uh, now in terms of coaching grade for Martins, initially I was going to give him a B minus, but, uh, in the end, after I was kind of looking through the positional match data and more of his tactics management, I think I'll give him a B plus. What's really keeping me from giving him an A is how long it took him to deploy with. But I did like how he tinkered with the formation, made some adjustments that did result in our improvement on the pitch, moving Madi out to the right, putting Fortunis in the 10. He's more suited to that. But leaving so, or waiting so long to get width out on the field is a problem for me and not giving rest to the midfield a little bit earlier when we started to lose some of that shape and we were unable to get a lot of stuff going forward. Um, that's going to keep me from giving him an A. Um, and again, it's still concerning me how weak we are getting into that final third personally. And I said it in the last podcast, I didn't think we were going to lose this game. I wasn't worried about Adis because they didn't impress me going into this. They hadn't played anyone special. They had a horrible positional attack efficiency, almost as bad as Ladisa's. So them eking it out against Minos didn't impress me, and I wasn't worried about them. And I agree with Costa. I mean, this is a game where I think we should have beaten them by at least two or three goals. Well, let's head then into the European fixture of the week, as Costa has, has called it. It's a final. You know, if we win this game, we secure our position in Europa League at least for January. If we don't win, there's no more chance of us playing in Champions League in January. Of course, we have to win and then, you know, the stars have to align perfectly even in terms of goal differential for that. So, you know, maybe don't get your hopes up for Champions League uh, knockout rounds. But if we win, we're in Europa League. We can, you know, relax a little easy. The headlines, I've obviously been at Marseille, of course, the only French team to have ever won the European Cup or the major European Cup 
uh, have been very, very poor. I think it's like 13 losses in a row. As Perry mentioned last time, they're like one game off from breaking the record for most consecutive losses. But what might not be uh, as apparent to a lot of European football fans is that they're playing quite well in France. Uh, if you look at the League One standings, and you know they got off to a bit of a rough start, but still, uh, they are four points off of PSG for the top place in the standings, and they've got two games in hand. You know they're in sixth place right now, but they've played two less games than everybody else ahead of them. They've only conceded nine goals, which is one off of PSG and Lille for the least conceded goals in League One this season. And they are coming off of four straight wins dating back to October 17th, which was all the way before they played us. So Marseille may be running in with some momentum similar to us getting a win against Adis. They had a very nice win against Nantes over the weekend where striker Dario Benedetto finally scored what I think is his first goal for Marseille all season long. You know, we, we'd ragged on him a little bit for being sort of useless up there. You know, Lambro saying Mitroglou is better, get him in the team. But he did score a goal, so that's something interesting to keep an eye on. As Kostas mentioned at the outset, they're missing two players, Nemanja Radoncic, who came off the bench when they played us. You know, he's not a key piece of their team. And Balerdi, the center back, who was really shocking uh, and got a red card against Porto that basically spelled their doom. And so he's suspended from that. Um, they had a really decent chance to actually get back in the Porto game. They were up against 10 men uh, with, I think, a goal down or something, and they were looking threatening. But then Balerdi comes in like three minutes later and, and just gives away a penalty, and it's a red card. And that was about it for Marseille. Uh, so they're, you know, looking motivated, hopefully, uh, or at least hopefully if you're a Marseille fan, they're probably motivated to come in and win this game and they've got potentially some momentum from the domestic league in France. But one thing that, that, that is really strange that's been going on with Marseille is Andre Villabos, the coach of Marseille, has been making these strange statements. Like he was asked by reporters about how they've been poor in Europe, and he's like, we don't have the quality for Europe yet. Maybe it's better if we just get out of this or our fixture list isn't congested. I don't know if you guys have read these comments, but yep. some of the, the French football fans are making so much fun of him, and I know... Martial at Olympiacos France was like, uh, yes, please, that's cool with us. Like, if you don't want European people, <laughs> just throw the game against us. We're all for that. But another element that's just super weird, like, they really just, I don't know what the goal is. Like, you get into the Champions League after seven years, and you're just like, eh, we're not good enough for this. Like, well, then what was the point in the end? I don't know. Just another element. I always come in with the quotes, so. <laughs> There's a couple of things that are concerning me about this game. One, this Marseille team that we're about to play against is playing better than the Marseille team we played against in our first round against them. Um, just in the last two games they played, even the, the loss against Porto, their positional attack efficiency is way higher. 26.5% of their attacks result in shots, way better than when they played against us. Um, they're more effective. They're still not clinical in finishing, um, and, but Benedetto is doing a little bit better of a job, kind of moving around, playing more physically, getting ahead of the defenders. That's something to be scary, to be worried about, uh, because you know we've seen how we've played in Europe. We can play so well in a game, outpossess teams like Porto and Marseille, but then we'll bite it on one lapse of judgment versus all of our attacks some amount to nothing. And then another thing that's concerning me, 
Now, we only saw him for 19 minutes in the first leg that we played against Marseille, but they have a number 10 a young player, I believe. His name is Cuisance, and he scares me. When I watched them play and I looked at the player data for how he played against Porto and how he played against Nantes, he has the most attempted smart passes for this Marseille team. Looks to cut the defense and can do it well. He's second to Talvin only. And we know how and we know how creative and how dangerous Talvin can be. He has pretty quick feet. The vision is definitely there. He's silky smooth with the ball, can cut on a dime. Not similar. He's not very similar to the way Fortunis holds the ball, very close to him, uh, and will just let the ball go and and just also look smooth. He looks a little bit more quick. He can turn. He'll turn quicker with it. He's a little bit more flair to him. Um, but he's not very physical. He can be dispossessed when closed down if you're playing more physical. But what worries me is the lunges. Every time I watch a defender lunge on him, Cuisance just burns them, makes them look silly. And who is the defender that concerns us with lunging? Actually, there's two of them. One of them is Semedo. We've talked about this in the past. He can get lazy sometimes with his lunges. And Cisse is, is also guilty of this. So this part concerns me because I'm just I'm just seeing in my mind when we play against them, a bad lunge from, from Semedo or Cisse, and he just turns on them and rips a shot and scores. Uh, nightmare for me, and it's something that's of concern. Uh, Peter, what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on this? Well, Cuisance is a very highly rated youngster. He's on loan from Bayern Munich. He's only 21 years old. He's a case of, once again, teams not having a preseason and players having to be worked in very late. Adi, you mentioned he came on pretty late as a sub against us last time, but you know, it's been almost, it's been more than a month since that, since that game. Uh, this is a player who, and Kostas, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he was very, very close to a loan to Leeds in the Premier League. And I think like a medical fell through or something, or, or there were very strong links there. And uh, as a result, he was more or less a deadline day loan move to Marseille. So very late addition to the team. But I mean, this is a talented kid. He featured for Bayern throughout their season last year. He has a good handful of substitute appearances for Bayern. Uh, he's got a Champions League medal, technically. Uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's a talented player, uh, and, and they see him as, as a piece of their future in that midfield. So he's definitely one to be worried about. I mean, you look at this on the surface level, and you see we beat Marseille 1-0 uh, with a late goal from Hassan. Uh, now Marseille are looking better, and we are looking worse. You know, I know Lambro made the good point that maybe Marseille might just throw Hopefully they don't look too bad. Otherwise, we'll get Pauk fans in the comments again. But maybe the, the motivation won't really be there. Maybe they'll even play a rested team and, and rest some of their older players. But Marseille go at it the way they've been looking, uh, especially with that record on the line. You know, a lot of pride on the line for this Marseille team. So many players in this team, you know, Mandanda, Tauven, Payet, they really love Marseille. They've been there for a long time. So... Uh, that worries me definitely a little bit. Like, this is a team that is looking better than we played them. And, you know, we had a lion's share of the possession in the first game. It's true. But the result is all that matters at the end of the day. We have to be able to score goals. And, uh, you know, Marseille are, you know, Portuguese manager, typically good, resolute defensive team. So I am a bit worried about that. And don't forget, there was another player we didn't see because I, was about I think to it was say. a suspension. I, I was about Ubukar to Kamara. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and he, I brought him up when we talked to Muhammad Ali, uh, who does a lot of the media and journalism for Marseille as well. 
I mean, he is a player that I enjoyed watching. I know that I do some, I watch tape on some of the opposing players just in a, in analytical perspective, but I watched additional film on him just because he's a fun player to watch. He's another one that has great skill, incredible downfield vision. And he's a, a he's actually a center back by trade. His preferred position that he wants to eventually go back to is center back, but he just seems to play this role so naturally and he's going to be available for them. So there are two young players that have incredible skill that we're going to have the misfortune of having to deal with in a semi-weakened state. We've got Kamara playing as a DM, maybe in a, probably in more of a six role, but potentially as an eight. And then Cuisance, uh, going to be a very, very, very difficult time. One thing to keep an eye out, folks, we might have Kamara versus Kamara in the midfield. That'll be uh, <laughs> potentially an interesting thing to keep an eye out for. Uh, with that in mind, Marseille probably going to line up relatively similarly, except, you know, maybe we'll see Cuisance at that 10 role instead of, I guess it would be, um, what's his name, Sanson or Grenier or something uh, coming out, and then Camara at the six for them. Um, what do you guys want to see as a lineup for Olympiacos? Uh, Vambro, I'll let you start, because I know you're going to say Vrusai at all 11 positions and, uh, and no one else. Well, actually, I, I, I was looking at the... Mar I, I'm going to start off with the Marseille lineup. That is going to be, I think, the defense is set with Kaletkar, uh, Alvaro, Gonzalez. Again, I'm terrible with names. I'm going to mess all of these up. But the midfield plus, I think this is their best lineup with Camara, Sanson, Cuisance, I think my French accent's coming, Payet, that's good. and uh, Thauvin, and then Benedetto at top. I think that's with what the pieces they have, I think that's what they got. I think that's the best lineup. I think we got kind of this weird 4-4-2, what's going on, who knows what when we played them, but I think this 4-2-3-1 is probably their best formation. They're starting to figure it out. So that's their formation. For our formation, you know, uh, I, I just want to see the talent. I want to see the best players we've got. So the back line's the same. I guess Rafinha, Jolebas at the back, and then... It's tough lately. It's been Cisse instead of Ba, and I don't know. I don't know whether I, I I'm in favor of that. I think I'd stick with it. I guess if Coach Martin's whatever Coach Martin's wants to be honest, but I'm fine with. And then in front of that, I think you got to go with the three that we've been going with: Marikamara, Ugalakis, and Envia. And then this front three is where it's all at. It's got to be Fortunis, Alarabi, and then there's one spot, and that's kind of like who do you put out there? Do you put Masuras? who I think it's going to be, or do you throw the stars and you put Versailles out there, who I want? So, honestly, what I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the Masuras, El Arabi, Fortunis, the midfield three we have, and then Cisse probably starting. I think I agree with you in terms of what I think it's going to be. Uh, what I want to see, I do want to see Versailles start. I want to see Fortunis at the 10, though. So, you know, if, if I were the manager, I'd, I'd say Masuras and Vrusai are your wingers supporting El Arabi up top. And then you've got Fortunis, Mari Kamara in sort of the eight. And then I guess Mvila as the six and Buhalaki sees the bench at least to start off. Um, you know, maybe the game script changes, we get a goal, Buhalaki comes on. But for me, that's what I would want to see. I, I think I'd also want to see Ba at the back line. Uh, you never know. Maybe Martins is actually, dare I say, rotating with uh, Cisse in the starting lineup this weekend. I, it is, I guess, unclear with Ba still recovering from COVID-19 if he's 100% fit. He looked solid, uh, maybe not his usual perfect self, 
against Manchester City, but I mean, it's also Manchester City. He played so well against Marseille the last time out. So I think I'd go with him at the center back. And then, yeah, the, the two old boys on the flanks for the fullbacks, I think is probably our best bet too. Maybe we can work Vinagre in against a Greek team soon just to give Holebas a rest so he doesn't get hurt again. But I think this game, we just got to play it safe, get our result, and then hope for the best. Costa, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, difficult game ahead. I've uh, heard uh, reports that uh, Ahmed Hassan uh, will travel with Olympiacos uh, on Monday to Marseille. It's Sunday when we're recording this. And I also heard reports that uh, Pedro Martins has given orders to the players, to all of the players, to show up at the airport in the morning. And that's where he's going to announce who comes in and who doesn't, because they're still waiting on some coronavirus tests to come through. Uh, you were right, Peter. You hit the nail right in the head when you said that Marseille have suffered 13 straight defeats in the Champions League. But when it comes to Liga, they are doing really well. Uh, they are enjoying a seven-game undefeated streak, and they are also enjoying a four-game winning streak. They've won their last four games in Liga. They've been undefeated in the last seven. Obviously, Dario Benedetto, as you mentioned, hasn't exactly been a threat. He hasn't managed to score in 13 matches, but he finally got his goal against Nad uh, yesterday or two days ago. And, you know, that's exactly what a center forward needs, especially one that hasn't scored for a while. He just needs that one goal to help him, you know, find his old, find himself like Alarabi did. He had his little issue. He got back to it. I expect Olympiacos to follow the same recipe from the first match to an extent, in the sense that you got to choke Tovin and Payet. You cannot let them move. And it's very important not to concede any free kicks just outside the box. Because then you got Bayet with his, with quite a magical foot that we saw in, uh, at West Ham and we still remember it. When it comes to the lineup, I expect the same lineup against Aris, only with uh, one change. And that is Lovera, obviously, who's not even on the list. So I see signed uh, between the sticks. Rafinha and Holebas on the um, on fullback, Semedo Sisse, the centre back uh, duo, Kamara and Villa Buchalakis in the midfield, 4 3 3 system, obviously. Fortunis, Masuras, and El Arabi. So Masuras for Lovera, basically. That's what I, I think that's going to be the, uh, the lineup. Maybe we'll see Bayern for Sisse. We'll see. I, I, I foresee the something very similar. Uh, I'm glad you touched on the, the Payet Talvin issue. I was going to bring that up myself because that was super, that was a super important part of the game plan. Both of them were so deadly and we did a really good job against them, really just snuffing them out. Now on the flip side, what we need to do offensively, Marseille is weak in the fullbacks. They're weak on the width. Every goal they have suffered all the dangerous opportunities against them come from stretching the width. Sakai, uh, who's been playing for them on that right side, is not that impressive. He's not that quick either. Porto scored both goals by feeding through balls in between him and Shalea Shar, and the wingers on the end just burned right by him. And the thing that worries me is we don't seem to have the pieces available to take advantage of their weaknesses. And this is something that's concerning to me because I, I, I agree with Costa. I think we're going to see a similar 4-3-3 where we see, you know, Fortuny Sermati flipping on that right side with on the left, maybe Masuras um, or who, you know, whoever else may be available. Um, probably will be Masuras because he tracks back really well. So that's what's worrying for me. If it were me, I'd throw Vrusai out there. I know 
Martins isn't going to do that, but I throw him out there. So I know we have actual width and speed to take on Sakai there, but I think we're going to see four, three, three. Cissé is in pretty good form. He's doing quite well, which is why he's probably getting the start. So I'm not going to be surprised if he, if he starts, you roll with the hot hand sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's, I think what we're going to see probably the same four, three, three, Bukalakis and Vila Madi all starting uh, with Fortunis playing, maybe El Arabi, Fortunis support, playing on the wing, but being Fortunis and kind of going wherever the hell he wants anyway. Uh, that's what I think we're going to see. And also, I read today that Bruma did hit practice today, so there isn't a chance that he could play. So that could be the speedy winger who can go against their fullbacks. We'll, we'll definitely see about that. Also, I remember against Marseille, we... We discussed this. It was like almost four-four-two, big man, little man with uh, El Arabi and Valbuena. Can Valbuena, yep. Can Fortunis play that role? Is that the same thing we're gonna see? I, I think keep an eye out for that because that was something that worked against them last time, and something that Adi you pointed out. And we, I think we, when we, when we really decided to go for it, we went to that four-two-two-two with Hassan El Arabi up top, and then you had. Fortunis, Valbuena, and then two midfielders. It was something like that. Well, yeah, maybe it was, that's it was a four-four-two. Yeah, yeah, just like that because the width we were using the width, the defensive width and spread to really key in on Talvin and Payet and yeah. neutralize them. The problem with a four-four-two in this game is the fact that. One, they actually have a real deep lying potential playmaker in Kamara with upside and cuisants. They didn't have those last time. They didn't really have anybody yeah. that scared us at the 10 position. All we had to do was uh, was really isolate Talvin and Payette, which we did well. Now there are two other variables that are going to throw a wrench in those plans. One, Cuisance. So I don't like the 4-4-2 for this game because Cuisance is going to take advantage of gaps, especially if we have gaps. I expect the press to be in order because we pressed them last time and we were pretty successful with it. So the press will be in again, but we're going to have to keep tighter shape. So I expect the 4-3-3, which will probably again function as a 4-2-3-1. Uh, and I think we're safer going with that. Ambro, you took the words right out of my mouth about Bruma. I mean, this just seems like the perfect game to bleed him in, but, you know, it's hard to say if he'll even be available in the squad. Maybe a 15 minutes off the bench for him to run at people there. Yeah, I mean, as I said, though, before beforehand, like, uh, unfortunately, we're in a situation right now where it's not totally in Olympiacos' hands. Because as I said, like, Man City have sealed uh, qualification, obviously they won first place. But they're facing a really tough December coming up where there's going to be a huge congestion of fixtures. If I'm not mistaken, it's going to be seven or nine fixtures they're going to give in December. And then on January 2, they're facing Chelsea away. So if they rested De Bruyne uh, and Walker against, uh, against Olympiacos, they're obviously going to, make, going to rest more players against Porto and Marseille later on. Later on. So... Uh, if Porto get anything from that uh, Man City game, that's it for Olympiacos. So it's advantage Porto, anyway you see it right now. But Olympiacos really need to uh, get a result against Marseille. They need to, uh, to stay in Europe. Yeah, City with a really tough stretch coming towards the end of 2020. They do have Arsenal in the League Cup, Newcastle and Everton all in, I think, six days. And then Chelsea a few days after that. And then United. And United, right, yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly seems like they would probably want to be resting players. Uh, right. So that's yeah. obviously another variable that gets thrown in uh, for them against Porto. But, you know, 
we just got to hope we can win. Uh, with yeah. that, why don't we get into some quick fire predictions? We just go around, you know, give a give a take for what we think the score is going to be, um, given what we've already sort of discussed. I am going to maybe be a bit more negative. I'm going to say 1-1 draw. Maybe El Arabi gets a goal. Uh, Marseille go up first through Florian Tovan. El Arabi comes back, gets us a goal, but it's not enough to get the win. Lambro? Going into this game, I was like, oh, I'm so happy we're going to do it. Now that we've talked about it, I am dreading the match already, guys. <laughs> so, uh, God, I, I I don't know how to make a prediction because I feel like we still have a goal-scoring problem, and I feel like that really comes out in Europe especially, but I'm just going to lean into this 2-1 win. Hassan scores a goal, and Rusai scores what maybe one of his first goals ever for Olympiacos. I don't remember if he scored a goal before. So that's my prediction, Adi. I expect that we'll probably dominate in possession again. I think the press will be high. I think it'll probably follow something similar to the game script of the first game, albeit slightly more open, especially with guys like Cuisance and Camara now available for Marseille. So I think... Uh, it'll be slightly more open in that respect. And I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going to say that El Arabi finally hits his scoring form. The class will ooze out, and the the bad form will disappear. Uh, we will cop a goal. It's just I, we're going to cop something. Might be one of those cuisance things where he just goes by Semedo after a stupid lunge, and he rips one in, and then I have Liverpool fans trolling me, telling me, oh, I told you so. Uh, and then, yeah, so I'm going to go 2-1, Olympiacos away, which doesn't usually happen. We don't usually win away, but I'm going for the 2-1 away. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a 1-1 kind of game, doesn't it? Because Marcelo yeah. getting over Olympiacos are not really convincing. But one thing, uh, one thing that really impressed me against City, which I honestly didn't expect to see, Olympiacos were playing deep against City. And there's a reason why they did it, because Man City, they are struggling with teams that are playing deep. And Olympiacos doesn't do it anymore. That's not how Olympiacos plays. I expected Olympiacos to actually try and play his usual game of possession and passing and keeping the lines together and playing from the back, uh, despite his um, all of their absences. But Martin still did it. And, well, yeah, Olympiacos didn't get a result. But then again, we never expected Olympiacos to get anything from City. But they barely lost still. It kind of worked. So the thing is, Martins does adapt. Martins knows what makes the other team tick, what makes the other team open up, what, what makes the other team hurt. So I would expect a, a different uh, performance from Olympiacos. I expect Martins to have done his homework, him and his part, him and his, uh, the rest of his team. So as we said, like with Aris, like he had to, uh, to think ahead. So, you know, he couldn't, we couldn't really see a football masterpiece in there. I expect an, a better Olympiacos. I expect an Olympiacos that has done their homework. And maybe, maybe they will get what they, what they want. I mean, even a draw won't be the end of the world, but it's just that it's going to be a lot more dramatic at the end. But I expect Olympiacos to have done, his, to, to have done their homework and possibly getting what they want. But I guess 1-1, one, one, it has a 1-1 one, one feel, doesn't it? It, <laughs> it kind of does. It really does. Lambro, I want a quick fact check. I went and looked it up. Mari Vrusai has scored two goals for Olympiacos. One, okay. uh, I think it was the Paolo Bento, or no, it was the the horrible Hazi season. Uh, he scored one in the league, and then uh, the first year of Martins, he scored a goal in the Greek Cup, actually in his only Greek Cup game. 
Oh, thank you for that fact check. Also, I need a fact check from some of you guys. I cannot remember the last time Olympiacos has not played European football in the winter. It's been like almost six years now. Can you guys remember? Uh, the horrible. It was that horrible season, the 2006, 2007, 2018, where Olympiacos finished third and they uh, they were yep. terrible. They got Barcelona. Uh, oh, it was and, yes. Uh, yes, that's that. I've deleted. And Mario Vusai scored mind. a goal. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I, I've deleted that season from my mind, so that one doesn't count. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I still I remember, remember. I remember Lambro, like, we would go to the gym in Maryland and he would be like, Olympiacos are getting these results against Barcelona. They're going to go through. Just watch it happen. He was very optimistic at those times. Um, I things just went wrong. Those moments. You know, but yeah, things went season. really wrong. It, Alexis Romao. When Retos got sold, I was like almost in tears. I, just uh, we don't remember that season. It never happens. We but, don't remember that season until like Hassan has a bad game and Lambro compares him to somebody from the 2017-18 Olympiacos team. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, I only just want to add about that season. I know you're trying to forget about it, but I'm telling you, remember when Olympiacos finished fifth in 2010 in the playoffs? Oh God, I, I do oh. not want to remember that. Yeah. That was uh, no, I do remember that. That was the year before Marinaki bought the team, or the su- the su- the summer that he did buy the team, and we beat. Um, but we did beat Panathinaikos twice during the season. That's what I'm trying to say. That team that finished fifth in 2010, it would wipe the floor with the 2018 team that finished third yep. and didn't have any playoffs. The mm-hmm. 2010 team made it to the last 16 of the Champions League, beat Panathinaikos bo- at both legs, and beat Ike as well as Palk away. They would have wiped the floor with that team. Yep. From 2018. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. That team was so bad, to be fair. Like, it was <laughs> yeah. just like 6-3, like Ochija Foe, Gilet, like 34-year-old oh, Belgians. Like, Terrible. A- anyway. Well... Let's let's forget we're in a slightly better time. We do have Jose Jovebas, thirty six years old at left back, but let's forget about that. Um, now that we've all made appearances now for Olympia, oh yeah, congratulations to Jose the, the marathon man. He's he's been Bionic. doing it. <laughs> but um, that about wraps up our coverage. Then uh, Adis and Marseille, the two big topics of the day. Gostas, we want to thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the appearance as much as we did. Uh, you provided some great insight and we would like to give you the opportunity to um, plug yourself to all of our listeners. Uh, if there's anywhere where people can follow you on social media or uh, anywhere where people can keep up with the stuff that you're writing, whether it's football or, or wrestling, um, now's the time to let people know. Well, I mean, thank you for the invite, guys. I mean, I had a great time. Great analysis from all three of you. I can see uh, you've all done your homework I'm, I'm, I'm very much a journalistic approach, very professional, very analytical. You're passionate about what you're doing, and I'm really glad to see this. Um, if it, I'm at your disposal. I'm saying it in public if you need anything else. Other than that, if, the, if anyone wants to, uh, to follow any uh, wrestling and uh, and or football, live blogging coverage of the Serie A, Premier League, and La Liga, you go to at Llanos Costas on Twitter, and uh, we're gonna, hopefully we're going to have some great conversations. Guys, thank you so much for the invite. Of course, man. The pleasure is all ours. Um, thank you so much for the kind words. And we are sure that, you know, if the opportunity presents itself to have you back on again, we'll jump on it. You know, whether it's uh, maybe we'll meet up with an English team in, in the Europa League or something like that. And uh, it'll make a good opportunity for us to link up again. So uh, keep your eyes open for that. 
Thank you to everyone who's listening, especially if you've made it this far. Uh, we will be back on Thursday with a discussion of the Marseille game after it has happened, as well as continuing to uh, keep up with pre-match for the Super League this weekend. So until then, enjoy the rest of your week, and we will see you very soon.